So glad to see you here. For the choir members that are still sitting out there, you got an opportunity to go ahead and get on up here while I'm talking, okay? But it's good to be here in the house of the Lord today, amen? Amen. We trust that the Spirit of God has drawn us here as a body, the body of Christ, to worship Him in spirit and truth. You know, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And here we are in the house of the Lord because of his faithful mercy. So as we begin worship this morning, I want us to all stand together and I want us to read the scripture that is on the wall from Psalm 31, verses 1 and 5. Let's all say it together. Lord, I seek refuge in you. Let me never be disgraced. Save me by your righteousness. Into your hand I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord, God of truth. Let's worship him together.
be seated as we continue to praise him with song.
this morning. The first is, uh, ladies, you've got a sign up out there in the foyer, back in the corner of the foyer, that you can, uh, Caleb, go ahead and put that slide up there. Wow ministry that's going to happen on September the 8th, and it's $10, so be sure to stop by the table there and sign up and get registered for that. Men, you've got your startup event that's happening also. It's going to be on September the 18th, immediately after the service, catching a bus, heading over to catch the Astros game. So, be sure to stop by the connection desk and uh, get signed up for that, all right? Now, last week, we had all of our prayer requests that were given to us um, when we went out on our Make a Difference Sunday, and these sheets are available back at the connection desk also, so you can pray for those. But we wanted to make sure that the people that we went out and saw knew that we were praying for them. So this week, we have out there on two different tables um, postcards that say we're praying for you that's what it looks like there on the left hand side the back of it has the second Thessalonians verse we pray always for you and they're already labeled okay you don't have to do anything they're already labeled there's a paper clip that's attached that's holding the paper that's on the bottom that has the prayer request listed so what we want you to do is this I would like for you in this next song set or after the service just go back there take a moment Grab a postcard or two, however many you want to. Pray for that person. Pray for that prayer request. And then write a quick note on the postcard. And then you can drop it. There's metal tin on each table. You can just drop it in there. And then on Tuesday, we'll run it through the meter and we'll postmark it and we'll mail it to them. And we'll let the folks know that we truly are praying for them. So let's follow through on our commitment saying that we pray for our community. And let's do that as a church today, okay? Let's begin this moment right here with prayer. God, we thank you for the opportunity that you did give us a few weeks ago to go out and connect with so many different people and to pray for them. God, may we continue in that vein and in that, that heart of praying for our community. And may the people that receive these cards truly know that you love them and you care for them and you want them to have a relationship with them. And God, I just ask that you will bless this time that we're spending together. As we praise you through song, as we praise you through prayer, we praise you through your scripture being open and preached and proclaimed, and we praise you and honor you by praying for these folks and sending cards. May you be glorified through it all. We ask it in Jesus' name. As we sing, you can make your way out to the foyer to find those tables and to pray for those folks. Let's continue worshiping our Savior. He is Lord. He
Father, may we run to you again and again and again and again. You're the one that provides grace. You're the one that gives mercy. You're the only one to turn to for salvation. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we have eternal life. Thank you. That cross of Jesus that he willingly went to. He, he was born a virgin, born of a virgin as a baby in a manger, knowing that he would go to the cross for us. Knowing that all of our sin would be weighted down on his shoulders, on his body. And he willingly took that for us. So amazing. May we seek your face each and every day, asking you to guide and direct our steps. May we see the people that we come in contact each and every day through your eyes as divine appointments by you to be your salt and your light, to share the love of Jesus. Encourage us to be different. Thank you for your love. May Jesus be magnified here today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys excited about not having school tomorrow? Yeah. That's not very excited. Yeah. What are you going to do tomorrow? Everything. I know. We don't have to go to school tomorrow. I you can do everything except You know I have to work tomorrow, though? That's sad. I know that is sad, but I have to work tomorrow. Well, I'm glad. I hope you do some fun things with your family. Talking about family. Hi, guys. Way over there. Can you hear me? Guess welcome to come over here and join us. Come on over. You can sit close by. I want to ask you guys, do any of you have an older brother? Okay, a couple of older brothers. And can you learn something from your older brother, you think? Maybe? Hopefully you like your older brother, right? Sometimes they annoy us. Sometimes they're helpful, yeah. Do any of you have an older brother that thinks he's God? No. Yeah. That's why he yells at my brother yells at his monitor a lot. Sometimes it's kind of crazy, isn't it? What if, what if your older brother really was God? What would that be like? Very terrifying. It'd be very terrifying, wouldn't it? He would have powers, and he would never do anything wrong. So if you did something wrong and he never did anything wrong, how would that make you look? That'd be kind of tough. 
can't, can't blame him. Yeah, you can't blame anything on him because he never did anything wrong, right? Yeah. Did you know there was a guy in the Bible whose older brother was God? No way, right? Yes. Jesus was God, and he had some brothers. The Bible tells us of that. And today we're starting a brand new sermon series on the book of Je- excuse me, on the book of James. Have you ever heard of James? Well, James is one of the books. It's called a general epistle. It's a letter. Have you ever gotten a letter from somebody? Yeah, we're sending little cards and letters to all these people today. It's, you're working on one right now? Good. Well, this is a letter that the second brother, first, first one born after Jesus, wrote to all the Christians that we get to read today. And we're going to be studying that for a few weeks. And we're going to find that he learned he had a lot to learn from his older brother. So I'm going to ask you to do me a big favor. Whenever we study the Bible, we should pray that God would teach us something, right? That would help us, right? So that we could be more like who? That's right, to be more like Jesus. So let's take a minute to pray, and I want to pray for you. I really do hope you have a great time tomorrow. But I hope you have a good time in the next couple of minutes as we look at a book of the Bible that was written by Jesus' brother, James. So let's pray together, okay? Lord, thank you for these children and the opportunity they have to be out of school tomorrow, to do some fun things, to be with their family, and maybe to spend some time with their siblings. And I pray that they would have good relationships with their brothers and sisters if they have them. Lord, that you would help each one of these kids to know how much you love them. And as we study this book of the Bible that's so important to us, the book of James, Help us to realize how you can change us to be more like Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you all for coming down here and seeing me this morning. And remember, pay attention. I'm going to try to say some things that maybe you'll understand, all right? And keep your parents awake, all right? All right, let's go. See you after a while. I tell you, it's good to be back. Michelle, I've missed you this past month. It is, um, we were one week up in Washington, D.C., taking care of uh, three of our four granddaughters, and it felt like a month. Um, <laughs> our daughter and son-in-law were in Fort Worth. Uh, many of you know they're planting a church there, and so this was past week. They met with some of their core group. They were looking for, to secure a location for their church, and uh, so they had a lot of responsibilities, so they took the youngest, and Michelle and I And I will say Michelle, for the most part, took care of the younger three. But it was a great time. Good to be back with you guys today. And I wanted to follow up just a little bit on some of the announcements that we've already heard. Did I actually understand that the women are going to have a meal that is steak and shrimp? That's just not right. (laughs) We, We have heard the women complain about the men having steak last year. Every week since then. And, uh, and all we're going to be doing is riding on a bus over to Minute Maid and eating at the ballpark. So that's just not right. But anyway, I hope you guys have a great time. And I'm glad that you're having steak and shrimp to make us look foolish. 
And then secondly, I want to remind you about a, a great opportunity that we have next week. Uh, there's so much going on, truthfully, with the women's event coming up uh, this Thursday. And then on Sunday, we have the opportunity to meet with Cheryl Christopher. Many of you know her as a longtime resident of Beaumont. Uh, she wrote a book called Portrait of Grief. And she talks about the experiences of losing two sons and a grandson. And some of you have walked that journey of loss in a similar vein. And she's lost three in her family. And she's going to be here back in May. I was talking to her and just saying, would you be willing to come? And her book had come out. And would you just spend some time with us talking about grief? So she'll be here next Sunday evening from 5 to 6. It'll just be for an hour. This is a tremendous opportunity for you that have experienced grief to be here. For all of you that think it's not coming at will, uh, to learn insights and wisdom that will help on that journey and to bring somebody. All of us know somebody that's suffering from grief, right? Somebody that has lost someone. And it's not just going to be about those who have lost a child. This book and her talk is going to deal with all types of grief. So I pray that you will be here and bring someone with you. Uh, she'll take some questions and answers at the end of the time together, and then we'll have some books if you would like to purchase one of those. So anyway... Uh, today we begin a brand new series, and I look for us to pray again about that as we start off on family resemblance. Let's take a moment to pray. Take a moment to quietly pause where you are. You have issues in your life, struggles, concerns, that you just need some time with the Lord. So would you take just a moment or two to quietly pray where you are, and then I'll lead us collectively. Just quietly pray where you are. quiet can be puzzling and peaceful at the same time rushing through life so many times taking taking those moments to pause and just to reflect to have communion and conversation with you or thank you for hearing each one of us being concerned and loving us Lord, it takes such interest in our lives you are more interested in us than we are in ourselves which is hard to fathom Thank you for the many ways that you have communicated your love, specifically through your birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. You have demonstrated, as Paul would write, your great love for us, that we were nothing but sinners, enemies in rebellion with you, and you demonstrated your love to us. Lord, help us to be mindful today that, that you can be trusted. Sometimes the circumstances in our life remind us that we are not in control. They remind us of our desperate need for you. I pray for my friends now that are hurting, experiencing difficulty, adversity, loss in their life. Some of them simply facing the, the daily challenges that prevent, her, prevent them from being joyful and glad. 
Or some of us find ourselves walking at a distance from you. We seek to follow you, but we find that we have drifted further back than we desire. God, I pray that you would minister to each one of us just as we need. Thank you for those words that you penned through the, the Apostle Paul, that you will meet our every single need according to the unlimited riches of Christ. We ask now that as we see a life that was completely transformed, your brother, completely transformed, may that be an encouragement to us, a challenge, inspiration. Speak to us through your word now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Whenever a baby is born or someone is introduced in the presence of their parents, people start looking for family resemblance. They might say he's a chip off the old block or she's a spitting image of her mom. The book of James takes this dynamic and goes in two different directions with it. First of all, we see that the author of the book does indeed resemble his brother. And then secondly, James wants all of us as followers of Jesus Christ to resemble Jesus Christ. In Acts eleven twenty six, we find out that the followers of Christ in the church of Antioch were called Christians for the very first time. And the reason they were called that is because their lives, their manner of living resembled the Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul was writing to the young Christians at Corinth, and he challenged them to follow his example as he followed the example of Christ. He was saying there's a family resemblance, and I want you to resemble me as I seek to resemble our Savior, Jesus Christ. This series is called Family Resemblance because we're going to see that the author, James and later Jude, both brothers of Jesus, came to resemble their brother, Christ, and it's a call for each of us as followers of Christ to truly have a family resemblance to our Savior. We start off in James chapter 1, reading these words about who James is. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. James was a transformed brother. His life was forever different. Notice how he defined himself, James. Now, that's pretty hard to get away with, isn't it? How do you just write your first name and everybody knows who you are? How do we know who this is? Well, scholars would tell us, after tremendous research, that most likely this is indeed the half-brother of Jesus. And he identifies himself not as, any of you like to drop names? Some of us do from time to time. We feel like we're going to be bigger or more special because we're in the presence of somebody else. He could have very easily said, James, the brother of Jesus, the one whose name is above all names. But instead of going down that path, he says a servant. This is the lowest type of servant that you could have. This is not a servant with any type of privilege. And he esteemed himself in being in that position. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Again, probably doesn't mean a whole lot to us right now, right? But who he's writing to is us. He's writing to Jewish Christians that were scattered throughout the world. And they had no privileges at all. 
To the contrary, they had two strikes against them. The Roman Empire didn't like Jews to start with, and then if you became a Jewish Christian, then the Jewish people didn't like you either. And so it was hard to hold a job. It was hard to be respected. It was hard for people to shop at your business. Oftentimes, you would go about as a vagabond from one place to the next. He says to the 12 tribes, those of you that are scattered out, that are the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder, this letter is for you. This is James, who is completely changed. He is writing a letter to Christians, but we go back and we find that in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, there was a question about who Jesus was and how he's related to his family. It says, isn't this the carpenter? Jesus had served as a, a carpenter, modeled after what his dad had done, Joseph. It says, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of who? Of James, Joseph, Judas, who's also known as Jude, and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, dialing it back a little bit, we know that there were at least four brothers that Jesus had and at least two sisters. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it tells us that they were watching Jesus minister, and as he ministered in ways that were just completely unorthodox, in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, they tried to pull him out of a situation saying, he is completely out of his mind. So here is James, who is writing this letter that we're going to read and learn from, started off by believing that his older brother was absolutely a lunatic. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it says that even his own brothers didn't believe in him. It's a statement to say those who were very, the, the absolute closest to him, that saw the way that he was raised, the way that he lived, even they didn't believe in him. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, that, that great chapter that talks about the resurrection, Paul notes in there as a sequence of how Jesus makes all of these appearances, trying to clarify that the resurrection is something that, that we can believe in because there are eyewitnesses to the account. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, he says, and then Jesus appeared to James, his brother. You wonder what that meeting was like? James didn't believe who Jesus was until after the resurrection. And Jesus shows up, and we can only imagine what it might have looked like. Hey, James, it's me, bro. And everything changes. I mean, he had lived with Jesus. Every time they cleaned up the room, Jesus' room was spotless. Every time that Mary said, you guys come in, he was the first one at the table. Every time... Something went wrong in the house. They could never point their finger at him. Here is Jesus, the resurrected Lord, coming into the very presence of his brother who said he didn't believe in him. And all of a sudden, everything changes. He is completely transformed. So much so that he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Now we start off at Pentecost and we see that James is there with the others that are praying and, and the Holy Spirit descends upon them. They have the experience of Pentecost. We know that Peter is in the leadership. John is in the leadership. And then they begin to take on various roles. And James is the one that rises to the point of being the leader of the Jerusalem church. So much so that in Acts chapter 15 when we have the Jerusalem council and that's when they're confirming what Paul and Barnabas have been preaching, that we are saved by the grace of God and nothing else. It's not based upon anything that we can do. They come together at the Jerusalem Council, and it's James the one who gives the words to them. 
This is how we are saved. His life was so transformed that he died for his faith. Here is James, leader of the Jerusalem church. You remember all of the uproar that happens when, when Paul comes back to Jerusalem that, li- that last time. The whole city is in a riot. Ro- that Paul is escorted out of the city up to Caesarea. And then from there, Paul goes to Rome. And the Jewish leaders are so, and this is important for us to know because we're getting ready to look at a book that this is the guy who wrote it. The religious leaders are so upset that Paul has been taken out of their jurisdiction. They can't get their revenge. So they seek to take it out on James, the leader of the Jerusalem church. They give him an opportunity to renounce his faith. But instead, he gives a great discourse on who Jesus Christ is and the fact that he was a brother who did not believe, but his life had been forever changed by seeing the resurrected Lord. And then, as Eusebius would record that historian, they took him up to the temple of the pinnacle. Does that sound familiar? You remember Jesus' temptations? That there was a way of escape if he would bow down to Satan? There was a way out of this situation if he would take a different path? But Jesus stood his ground at the pinnacle of the temple. They took James to the top of it, and they threw him down to his death. He was transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. So what James is writing here is a call for us to live transformed lives. Notice what he says in verse 2. Consider it pure joy. Again, writing to Christians that are oppressed everywhere throughout the known world. Jewish Christians. Consider it pure joy. Not diluted joy, but pure joy. That whenever you face trials, not if you face. Isn't it interesting how oftentimes we seem surprised when trials come our way? When difficulties come our way, we have this look like, God, I I don't think this is what we bargained for. You seem to be slacking on your end. And James says, it's not if, but whenever you face trials of many different kinds is what it means. All different types of trials. Sometimes we think our trial is the worst that we're facing. And James is saying there are trials of all different kinds, and we need to be aware of that. Some are acute and life-changing, and some just tend to kind of just keep on wearing us down day after day after day. And he says, consider it pure joy. Because, why? Why would anybody think it joyful to go through a difficult experience? Because you know that the testing of your faith will do two things. It will produce, first of all, perseverance. It's like a rubber band. And this is a bad analogy, but you kind of get the idea. You've done this. You stretch the rubber band, and when you pull it to a certain length, Then when you bring it back, it doesn't return to its original position. It has been stretched and can no longer be stretched. Are we weirding out here on the sound, or is that just me? Did anything change for you guys? Okay, Uh, it must be the monitors, because I'm getting a big echo, and I'm having to listen to me preach, and that's not good. Consider it pure joy whenever these trials come, because it's going to produce, first of all, perseverance, and then perseverance as we go through this, as we endure this, as we shoulder up the load and go through this, then the work will be finished that we become mature and complete, lacking in 
nothing. Some of you are reading through the Bible, and this week, in fact, I think it's even today, Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it is to be complete, lacking in nothing, to be mature in Christ. Friends, so much of life is experienced in a minor key. I was reading just recently that about a third of our days in each year are considered to be boring, or they're difficult, or adverse. So much of life occurs in minor key. It doesn't feel like there's anything to be joyful about. But what James is talking about is setting up a comparison of what we have in Christ compared to what we are receiving in this world. Paul would write about it in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And he would say, I don't consider the sufferings that I'm engaged with now to be anything in comparison with the glory that we will experience one day when we are with Christ. Paul knew adversity, and so did James. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, Paul would say, in all of our troubles, our joy overflows. And we're going to see something really cool here in a minute about the correlation between James and Paul. It's to have a different perspective. It's to see things from a, a different angle. Uh, recently, Australia changed the terminology of shark attacks on a government safety website. They're trying to change the, the negative view of sharks and so now, if someone gets hurt by a shark, they could call it a negative encounter. He lost both of his legs. It was, it was a very negative encounter. Well, that's not exactly what James is talking about. It's just changing the terminology. It's literally changing your perspective. Lloyd Ogilvie was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate for almost a decade and going through a very difficult season of life in which everything seemed to be going south. He talked about this artesian joy. That's what he called it, artesian joy. I remember my mom talking about the artesian water that, that her parents had in Waco, Texas. And what artesian is, is water that doesn't have to be pumped or barely pumped. It just naturally flows. And so what Ogilvy is talking about, what James is talking about, it's not a joy that has to be pumped out, but it is a joy that is found in Christ that just naturally flows through us as we live in submission and surrender to Jesus Christ. Now there's a difference between trials, difference between trials and temptations. We'll talk about, we'll talk about temptations later in this chapter, but he's talking about trials, those times of testing not designed to tempt us, but to test us in our faith. We often say that God won't test us beyond what we can bear. Has anybody ever heard that? God will never test us beyond what we can bear. Where is that found in the Bible? Not here, not anywhere in Scripture. To the contrary, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, uh, excuse me, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul said, our sufferings are beyond what we can bear, beyond what we can endure. See, the beauty of experiencing things that are beyond what we can bear is we have to depend upon Christ. That's the beauty of it. And in doing that, it produces a perseverance that leads to maturity of our faith. As we will see as we continue on in this chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we won't be tempted beyond what we can bear. Why? Because any temptation that comes our way is not unusually different than what others are experiencing, and we have the power of God to resist the temptation. But yes, we will be tested beyond what we can bear. 
It's also important to know the difference between trials and discipline. Sometimes adversity comes into our life, and we say, God, why are you testing me? And it could be that God is disciplining us. The writer of Hebrews says that God disciplines those whom he loves. Same thing in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. God disciplines those whom he loves. So when adversity comes into your life, it is wise for us to count it pure joy that, number one, either God is refining us or he's disciplining us and bring us into right relationship with him. Many of you have read the books by Elizabeth Elliot. Unbelievable story of suffering and heartache. Buried three of her husbands, suffered from dementia, very hard life. Notice what she says, God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. God won't protect us from something that will make us more like Christ. That's why I think it's very apropos that in this uh, current edition of the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, on the cover it says, Chinese Christians call it the privilege of persecution. The privilege of being refined to be more like Christ. What I love about the parallels of what we'll be seeing in the book of James is that some would say, Martin Luther didn't have any use for the book of James, didn't think it should be in the Bible, didn't have enough theology in it. You won't find that it talks about the Christology of Christ. It doesn't talk about a lot of issues, baptism, Lord's Supper, some of those doctrinal issues. But James was one of the very first, if not the first book of the New Testament that was written. So he writes in a very practical matter, wanting Christians to, it almost like it's called the book of Proverbs for the New Testament, short statements that help us to live transformed lives. And what James did and wrote about literally transformed the life of Paul. In Galatians chapter 1, hang with me for just a couple of minutes, Galatians chapter 1 verse 19, we find that when Paul, who previously had been Saul, had his Damascus Road experience, he went out into the desert by himself, and then three years later he went down to Jerusalem, and when he was there he met with, who was the leader of the Jerusalem church? He met with James. Can you imagine what that relationship must have been like, what that meeting must have been like? When James speaks to Paul, who used to be Saul, and gives him this greeting of warmth, Paul had no idea what he's going to experience when he went to the Jerusalem church because he used to persecute them. And then when he goes there, James embraces him and says, man, I've been there, been there, done that. I resisted that guy throughout my entire life until I saw him resurrected. I was like you. I resisted him just like you. And they had this bond together. And that's why Paul would note in Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, that he met the brother of the Lord. See, James and, and Paul, their theology works together. It's called transformed theology. It's the idea of being transformed by the image of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, Paul would say, don't be conformed to the world. Don't take on the shape in the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let Jesus Christ transform you into the very image of Christ. It's transformational theology. So as we look through this book, we're going to see that it encourages us and it condemns us. And it encourages us to live fully alive as fully alive followers of Christ, but it condemns us in living lives of hypocrisy. We have seen Christian leaders fall, and I remember over the last couple of years ago, a writer was talking about one of those Christian leaders that fell. 
And those in the church talked about the betrayal. Couldn't believe that would betray the church like that. This insightful writer said it wasn't betrayal. It was hypocrisy. There was a duplicitous life going on. And what James is writing about is don't live duplicitously. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. James is saying don't live as an imposter. Live as a transformed follower of Christ. You know, if you're going through pain right now, count it joy through the power of Christ that he is strengthening you and maturing you more into the very image of Christ. Some of you love football. You know about Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy's son, Jordan, experiences a disease in which he cannot experience pain. And so he could go to the oven, and there could be cookies in there, and he could open the oven, and he could pull out the tray of cookies without an oven mitt. He doesn't experience pain. And we think in our lives, boy, wouldn't that be great to never experience pain? But from that example, Dungy talks about the sheer danger of not being able to experience pain because pain reminds us of things that need to be changed. So I want you to join me in just a moment as we pray that God would refine us as we go through this book, that we would begin to resemble more of who Jesus Christ is. Friends, those of you that are with us in this room or online who have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to hear and understand the message that changed James from a doubting brother to a fully obedient follower of Christ, so much so that he would give his life for his brother, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God loves us, and he's created us to have a relationship with him. But because of our sinfulness, just like James recognized in his own life, he was forever separated from God, but thankfully Jesus Christ, that's why he came, to make us right with God. We can be changed for eternity. Anybody here want to be changed? I mean, you may already be a Christian, but you want to be changed. My both hands, both feet I'd put up. If I could be changed more, oh, how I wish. I want Christ to change me. We can be changed for eternity by humbly repenting of our sins and completely surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. If you've never received Christ, you can join me in this prayer, and it begins a relationship with God. It's a starting point for becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's a phrase in this prayer that we pray every week. May we all as Christians pray to be fully surrendered followers of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, if there are any in this room listening online, those that will listen later that have never committed their life to Christ, never experiencing the transformation that James had in his life, the transformation that made a difference for all of eternity, might they pray a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus... I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, what joy to see what transformation can be like. To see your brother changed because of his understanding, of his faith in you as Lord and Savior. To see the impact that he had on the Apostle Paul that would give us so much of the New Testament. Transformation through Christ. We want our lives to be the same. Lord, would you help us to fully surrender ourselves to you so that you can transform us and use us for your glory and good. And again, we pray for those under severe trials even now. God, give them that 
that overwhelming joy, that artesian joy to recognize that through this you are refining them to have the perseverance that leads to the maturity that causes us to be believers who lack nothing. In your name we pray. Amen. If you prayed, receive Christ in the last couple of moments during this service. I know that we'll pray with you over the cross if you would like. If you'd like to come over there during this song or you can meet us at the Connection Center after the service in the atrium or just grab a communication card and put that in the, at the Communication Center afterwards of the service. And some of you maybe need to be baptized. You've said you've crossed the line to receive Christ, but your next step is to be baptized. It's a demonstration of that. Some of you are looking for a church home. We would love to have you as an ardent follower of Jesus Christ. We'd love to have you in the presence of Westgate. So whatever God is leading you to decide about now, pray that we would all do that as we stand together and as we worship. Long before.
Amen. Great day to be in the house of the Lord. We have five postcards out there that need to be prayed over and written a note on as you leave today. Have a great day. Amen.